0: recovery elevator episode 191
1: you know just feeling sorry for myself and feeling like I wanted to crawl underneath a table and just die somewhere I just I was so embarrassed by my behavior
0: welcome to the recovery elevator podcast my name is Paul Churchill thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast we've got Kelly She's from Fort Myers, Florida. She's 32 years old, and she's been sober for eight days. In her interview, she talks about when she has a craving, she has a new plan, and that is just to talk about it. And before we get any further, let's hear from Cafe RE. The most important thing I've learned while doing the Recovery Elevator podcast is we can't do this alone. Believe me, I tried for over two years, and it didn't work. So here's the good news. With Cafe RE, you get access to a confidential and unsearchable Facebook group, which is capped at 300 members to ensure intimacy. Then, you get access to the Cafe RE forum outside of Facebook, which means you don't need a Facebook account to be part of Cafe RE. Both are private and only members can see who is in the groups and what is said. In the forum and Facebook group, you get instant accountability and genuine connection with others who also wish to lead a life without alcohol. In Cafe RE, you'll find that being sober is a tremendous opportunity and not a sacrifice. For just $19 a month, you too can join the conversation. You can be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, online meetups, attend in-person meetups and retreats, participate in book club, movie club, and more. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code opportunity to waive this setup fee. I hope to see you there. Don't forget, there is a free five-day video course on the homepage of recoveryelevator.com. Just sign up. You're going to get a video emailed to you each day to help you navigate the first five days of sobriety. Okay, let's get started. I got a quote from a listener, and not only am I going to share it with you, but for my segment of the podcast, we're going to take a deeper look. Here's the quote. Addiction gets harder and harder and ends in death. Sobriety is hard work too, but it gets easier and easier and ends in life. This is from Andy Ziegler, great-grandson of Zig Ziegler. I'm kidding. Their last names aren't even spelled the same. There is no relation, except for the profundity of their statements. As for the first part of the quote, there's this thing called the progression of alcoholism, and it's a bitch. It's inevitably, if we don't personally step in and intervene, it will eventually lead us to death. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer on this podcast, but that's just the way it is. I've yet to hear that someone's drinking problem resulted in a unicorn. Now that we've got the first part of the quote out of the way, let's take a look at the second part. It gets easier and easier and ends in life. I'm currently writing a book and, spoiler alert, there is no end of the book. In fact, the beginning of the book is at the end of the book because sobriety gives us a new life. And I hope I can do a better job of explaining that in the book. What I'm getting at is I have a completely new life now than I did four years ago. And the transition into this new life hasn't stopped yet, which is awesome. It can even be overwhelming at times. Sobriety gets easier. It does. Trust me. It does not happen overnight. Sometimes it may even feel like a cruel joke. Once you get past the first week of uncomfortable withdrawals, lack of sleep, soaked bedsheets and sweat, Bring it on post acute withdrawal symptoms for the next six to eight days. Wait, it can be six to twelve months. And the whole time we're dealing with the wreckage from our drinking. But if you stay the course, it gets easier. Trust me. In this passage into sobriety, expectations versus reality can be quite different. Here's what I expected Woohoo! I made it 30 days. Give me the keys to the kingdom, baby. In reality, It took years for my addiction to take hold, strengthen, convince me that death was an option, and the healing process may take the same amount of time. The deepened grooves of negative unconscious thinking patterns didn't develop overnight, and they won't be eliminated in a single night's rest either. I'm not saying there's a direct inverse relationship to when your addiction took hold to when you'll emerge from your cocoon as a butterfly. In other words, If your EDR, your enhanced dopamine receptors or alcohol use disorder became an issue 10 years ago, it doesn't mean that it will take 10 years for your eggshell sobriety days to wear off. But it does mean it will take time. And with this time, we have a choice. Do we turn our back on the experience or lean into it? It gets easier. I was out to dinner with a friend the other day and he goes, hey man, you hit four years of sobriety this Friday. Want to go grab lunch? I said, oh yeah, it is this Friday. I almost forgot. When I was about to hit one year of sobriety, it was like watching the ball drop on Times Square at Y2K. It was a huge deal. I definitely knew when that date was on the calendar. It's not that four years isn't a big deal for me. It's that life without alcohol is not becoming, but has become, the norm. I will not be stating I'll remain sober for the rest of my life, but I think it will take some crazy Murphy Law-type scenario for me to take a drink right now. Okay, let's take a look at the end of the quote. Ends in life. This ending, which is the beginning, is life. And you can make it whatever you want it to be. Want a beagle? Well, I'd recommend a standard poodle, but get a beagle. Name it Chuck. Who cares? It doesn't matter. This is your new life. You can make it be whatever you want it to be. That's the beauty of this whole journey. We need to embrace the unknown, the unmanifested part of your life, and lean into it. This is where the magic happens. Also, don't put a time frame to this. This new life starts the moment alcohol leaves your system. The reason why I like this quote so much is because it gives us somewhat of a practical timeline of the journey or the passage. If we were to experience a panacea of joy and resurrection the day we quit drinking, well, that would be boring. You might say to yourself, are you serious, Paul? Yeah, well, I am. As human beings, we actually don't want to know the future. And the thought of rewriting our own narratives one day at a time, it's exciting. It's exhilarating. It gives me goosebumps just thinking about it because I am currently rewriting my future as well without alcohol. So that is the quote. Thank you again, Andy, for sending that to us. And you can find the quote at recoveryelevator.com or in the show notes for this podcast episode 191. After we hear from Kelly, I've got a great analogy about running and sobriety, so stick around. Okay, now let's hear from Kelly. Kelly, how are you? I'm very good, Paul. How are you? Kelly, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. And Kelly, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? Today is eight days. Eight days. Congratulations, Kelly.
1: Thanks. It feels, it feels good to finally be able to get over that week
0: mark again. Yeah, that's a huge milestone. There was a time in my recovery where I would have killed for eight days, so nice job.
1: Thanks, I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, before we get any further, Kelly, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, how old are you, do you have a family, and most importantly, what do you like to do for fun?
1: Well, I am 32 years old. I am originally from Long Island, New York. I moved down to uh, southwest Florida, specifically Fort Myers, uh, about four years ago. I am happily divorced dating somebody, and I have a beautiful four-year-old daughter who's just everything. She's a wonderful little girl. What I like to do for fun, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of figuring that out. I got caught up in being just a, a, a mom alone for so long that I'm just now kind of realizing who I am as a woman and mother, uh, especially a sober woman and mother. So I, I don't really have an answer for that quite yet. I'm still working on that one.
0: Hey, Kelly, that's okay, and that is part of the the Kelly 2.0 process is eventually, as long as you stay sober, (laughs) those issues and concerns, they're all going to be ironed out. They're going to answer themselves, and I got a question for you. I love doing the interviews where we're like less than double digits of sobriety time. Did you reach out to Mm -hmm. me to do this interview, or did I reach out to you?
1: No, I reached out to you.
0: Okay, which is awesome. Which is awesome because a lot of times I'll reach out to people and they'll say, you know, I want to wait till I get 60 days, 90 days or 100 days or six months. You get the point. What about, you know, what inspired you to do the interview with, I don't want to say just eight days because eight days is a fantastic amount of time. But that takes courage. Nice job, Kelly. Tell me more about the decision to do the interview.
1: Well, I felt like, as they say, you know, when when you're trying something and it's not working, you want to try something different. And you keep trying different things until you find something that works. Something for me is trying to step out of my comfort zone, be more open with my struggle and not feel ashamed, not keep it to myself, talk to people about it who I feel like can relate or who are going to understand, who aren't going to judge me. I'm a very outgoing person by nature, but the idea of doing this podcast really scares the crap out of me, which is exactly why I thought I should try to reach out and do it to get my story out there. And even like you said, only at eight days, if it can help somebody else, that in turn is going to help me. And and this is almost, it's almost therapeutic knowing that so many people are going to potentially hear this. So yeah, it's just about facing, facing your fear of exposure. I want to say making myself vulnerable by people hearing my story, you know, from my own, you know, my own mouth with my own words. So just kind of, you know, just trying to, to face the difficult things to, uh, to hopefully better myself in the
0: end. <laughs> hey, listeners, we are, we are three minutes and 37 seconds into this podcast interview and Kelly just dropped a huge value bomb. And that is if it's not working, you got to try something different. And Kelly, I, I've been doing this podcast for a while and, but I actually, while you're talking, I actually put myself in your shoes and said, what, what, you know, how would I feel if I did this interview at eight days, I would have been terrified. How are you feeling right now?
1: Yeah, I'm shaking and I'm trying to stop myself from talking too fast. So it's, I'm nervous over here, but I'm okay now. (laughs) I'm better than I was when we first started.
0: Wow. Yeah, I got to give you props. Nice job. And then, so I record these interviews well before they get released. It's time to create some accountability. Mm -hmm. And I got October 15th as the release date. Can you do it? Can you make it till then?
1: That's my absolute plan, and all I can say is I'll take it one day at a time, and every day I conquer, I get closer to that. So I certainly hope so, and that's my plan.
0: That was kind of a trick question, and you passed (laughs) one day at a time. You're rocking it, Kelly. Great job. Yeah, Kelly. Now give listeners a little background about your drinking. Maybe your drinking habits. How much did you drink? Did you ever attempt to regulate? When did it start? Talk about the progression. Did you have a rock-bottom moment? And while describing your drinking background, try to include dates and times, how old you are, and take us up to where we are maybe now or just a little bit little bit ago.
1: Okay. Well, my issues with not just alcohol, but addiction in general started quite some time ago. I started smoking cigarettes at the age of 15. I don't think I even had my first drink till I was, I think, about 20, 21. Uh, before that, I had dabbled in some other Extracurricular activities, as you will, you know, pills here or there. Um, there was cocaine here or there, nothing that became an issue, just really just recreational at the time. My first bout of an issue, a true issue with alcohol, where I was having trouble controlling it, was in my early 20s, probably about 21, 22. Um, unfortunately, I was in a relationship that was very toxic for a very long time. And I found myself starting to drink on a daily basis just to cope with the person that I was with, who was unfortunately a a drug addict. I think at the time I had gotten on to an antidepressant and uh, he subsequently did a year in a rehab facilitation, uh, a rehab facility. So I was able to kind of let go of the drinking and it, it didn't really get too out of control then, but enough that I thought it was I thought it was starting to become an issue. Um, Fast forward several years till I'm about 27, 28 years old. Me and this individual ended up you know, getting married. He's now my ex-husband, luckily. And he had introduced me to some some other things, heroin included. And it it scares me to even say that out loud, but it's part Mm -hmm. of my past. It's part of who I am. And that got to be a a pretty serious problem. I mean, it was a, a daily thing, unfortunately. It's something I'm definitely not proud of. I was able to stop that about two and a half years ago. After I, I OD'd and I did end up in a hospital. That was a real eye opener for me. Shortly after that uh, is when I finally, you know, decided, okay, you know, I'm, we're gonna we're gonna get divorced and I'm gonna move on with my life. And I moved out of the home that we shared. My daughter came with us. I stayed with family for about a, about a, maybe. Was that like two years? And then I moved into my own place as a, my own place as a woman and a mother. And I, uh, you know, and I had all this freedom and I had some loneliness and I started drinking again just to deal with the loneliness of, I put my daughter to bed. It's just me. There's no, you know, no companionship around. And um, that wasn't too bad at first. I think it really kicked up a notch. That lost March. And, um, you know, I started with just drinking, you know, maybe, maybe a couple beers a night. Then that wasn't really doing the trick anymore. You know, I got too full of bubbles and I started putting on weight. So I said, hey, why don't we, you know, why don't we move it up to liquor? It'll, it'll get you drunk quicker, right? And... That was a real mistake for me because not only is there addiction in my genes on my mother's side and my family, but I'm also Irish and you know what they say about the Irish when it comes to
0: alcohol, so. And <laughs> um, hey, hey, Kelly, was this <laughs> this last March of 2018 or 2017?
1: I'm sorry, March of 2017.
0: Okay, <clears throat> okay. And you're doing great. So, Keep on going.
1: Oh, thank you. So yeah, March of 2017 is when I think it, it really started to go downhill, probably because at the time, my ex had uh, had moved on and, you know, we, we had had a friendship for a while after we separated. But I think last March is when we really cut ties and went our separate ways. And, and that was hard to deal with because we had been together. We had, you know, been a part of each other's lives for about 13 years before that. Wow. Yeah, a very long time, lots of history. I think I really, when I first noticed, uh, the alarm bells for me started to go off was when Hurricane Irma, hit my town, uh, a new direct hit last September. The week before that, I, I couldn't even tell you how much alcohol I went through just between, you know, my, my nerves of the storm, not knowing if my home was going to, you know, make it through. But I think after the hurricane is when it really got out of control and I really started having a lot of, you know, nights where I was putting my daughter to bed and I wasn't remembering, you know, tucking her in, reading her book. I was falling asleep on the couch and I'd be there all night and just wake up feeling absolutely terrible. And, you know, by this time now we're we're up to about March of this year. And here I've put, you know, 35 pounds on. And the only thing that's changed in the last year is I've been drinking on a nightly basis. You know, I, I almost got evicted from, from my apartment one month because, of course, I went and, and, you know, went into my rent money just so that I could have some alcohol on a Friday night or a, mm-hmm. a Wednesday night or any night. And that, again, was a, you know, a red flag for me. But it's like I I didn't really I was like, oh, this is just this is just one this is just one little problem. It's it's not going to happen again. It's okay. You know, I, I've, I've got this, like you're always saying, I've got this. And uh, I didn't, I didn't got it. I didn't have it. And this past June, uh, just a few months ago, June 6th, my niece's birthday, my now my boyfriend came over. It was a Sunday night, I believe. No, I'm sorry. It was a Tuesday night. And I had just gotten obliterated and he can knowing he was coming over. I, found myself hiding in my bathroom from my daughter, just taking shots. Like there was a sense of urgency, but an urgency for what? I don't, I still don't even know the answer. Hmm. And that was the next morning is when I realized like you, you have a serious problem and you need to do something about this. And so, um, so let's drill into that first... night
0: a, a little deeper for a second. And so you're sitting there hiding in <laughs> the bathroom and you still to this day don't know why you were, you are just lapping the pace car, throwing down the shots.
1: Yeah, we weren't, it's not like we were about to have a, like, a. there was no fight, there was no altercation or argument that was about to happen. I think I was afraid that he was picking up on my drinking, and I felt like, you know, let me drink as much as I can before he gets here so I don't have to drink, you know, so I don't have to try to figure out a way to sneak one after he gets here. So it was like my, I almost feel like, like it was my subconscious I don't even, I'm not even sure how to put that into words, but it's
0: like, did that plan work?
1: No, no, it didn't. Nope. Because by the end of the night, I, I don't even remember most of the night. I was hysterical crying when he showed up. I was, I was just, I was a mess. I think he put my daughter to bed for me that night and I was embarrassed. I don't even think I went to work. No, I didn't go to work the next day. I just sat on my couch and, uh, you know, just feeling sorry for myself and feeling like I wanted to crawl underneath a table and just die somewhere. I just, I was so embarrassed by my behavior and I just, that's when I said, I don't want to keep, I don't want to keep going like this. You know, I'm broke and I'm an embarrassment and my daughter deserves more than this. And I deserve more than this.
0: And you said this was earlier this summer?
1: Uh, this was June 6th, June actually 6th. Of this okay. year.
0: So you wake yeah. up the next morning, you know, you deserve mm-hmm. better. Your daughter deserves better. You're feeling sorry for yourself. The hangover is probably pretty fierce. What'd you do next? Yeah.
1: Uh, well, I stayed clean for 23 days wow. after that. Nice job. Yeah. Yeah, 23 days. And then um, on that 23rd day, it was a Friday. And, you know, the old, oh, you know, look at how long you've been sober. You can just, you can stop and just get yourself a couple little dollar shots from the liquor store. And that Friday night was all it took, just that taste again. And, I was right back into it, not being able to stray more than two, three days sober after that uh, until eight days ago. So that's all it took was that just just that taste, just that initial buzz that hit me. And now I see, you know, it really is for me. There is no moderation. It's all or nothing at this point.
0: Let's go back to that night before June 6th when you're in the, in that, in the bathroom chugging drinks. And this is, a, this is a concept that I haven't explored much in the podcast. But when you said it, it kind of reminded me a couple of times in my past where you know, we think, like you said, you're like, I am going to drink as much as I can so I can hide it. You know, therefore, knowing when, mm-hmm. he, when he comes, I'm not going to drink anymore. But deep down, we know there's no way we can hide it. And I believe, or it could be, perhaps like the actual conscious part of the brain saying, look, we need help. We're going to let the wheels fly off in front of everybody. We're going to start drinking. Because I've had those moments before, and you, you're just busted, right? You think you're going to hide it, mm-hmm. but it's almost like the conscious mind, the smart part of your brain, tricks you, and, and it sounds like that could have worked because the next day you're like, shit, something needs to change. Again, I, I've never really yeah. chatted about that, but what are your thoughts?
1: I think how you just worded it is exactly how I was attempting to word it and failed a few minutes ago. Um, <laughs> I, don't know. I think, I think, yeah, in a way it was my conscious, my conscious mind saying, you know what, let's just go balls to the wall because you know that you have a problem and the more I make you expose you, the, the quicker you'll help yourself.
0: Yeah. Cause because, there might be times like said, where the, where the conscious, the conscious brain, we can tap into like the ultimate intelligence and for the way for it to trick our addiction is to actually just like blast through a bottle. <laughs> And there's calculated <laughs> risks there, right? We blast to the bottle, we get in the car and have a fiery wreck or, you know, like we get help. We we hit our rock bottom and I don't know, I might be exploring that further down the road in like an upcoming topic or chat more about it, but interesting stuff. But yeah, did you ever have a, a, attempts to moderate cut back um, in, in those 23 or not the 23 days, but before you got the eight days before?
1: Um I did I I tried to once I noticed that I it was becoming a nightly thing you know I'd come home and and you know even before I, I moved to the liquor every night, even just beer, once I noticed that every night I'm coming home, you know, cracking open a beer when I when I do dinner and then again after dinner and then again a couple times more after she, my daughter goes to bed, I tried to say to myself, okay, I'm, I'm just going to do, you know, Friday happy hours because I work in an office with and there's bars everywhere. So that was a pretty common thing still is. I just don't partake anymore. <laughs> but it was... You know, and that that's another time actually that now that you say that that more red flags went off because when I tried to stop drinking every day and moderate, I said, wow, this is this is really hard to do. I, I that's when I first started realizing I was actually craving alcohol. Once I saw that clock hit, you know, four four fifty five, oh well, five o'clock, see, you know, almost here, almost time to drink, and I'm like, wow, this is this is a lot harder than I thought. Maybe there's Maybe there's something deeper going on here, but I just wasn't ready to face it yet. So I tried moderating to where it was just, you know, happy hours and then Friday and Saturday and Sunday too, because, you know, that's still five, that's still five days of not drinking. But again, I really wasn't able to pull that together for more than two, three days at a time, but it was my intention
0: for months. I love hearing stories, especially like this one, where people are almost on the fast track. You know, June 6th, you had what sounds like an eye-opening moment of clarity. And then it it didn't take you much longer to realize it's easier to just not drink instead of doing the moderation thing. That period took me like two years. So nice job, Kelly. And earlier you mentioned, well, just a couple moments ago, you said there might be something deeper going on here. Have you started to explore that yet? or What do you think that is?
1: You know, I think, again, you know, these not just alcohol but addiction itself, I— I've realized even just over the past month that I've had a crutch in life since I was 15, you know, some sort of substance has been helping me along in my life, deal with life and deal with things that, you know, my life hasn't been that terrible. These, these problems, these are because, you know, I I've been relying on these substances to, to get me through whether, you know, whether it is smoking or for a, for two years heroin, uh, you know, now alcohol. So I think my deeper, I think my deeper issues are, I just don't know how to cope with everyday stresses, which is something that I'm only just realizing and just facing now, you know, and, and, being a mom, being a mom, you know, period is hard being a single parent is even harder because her father hasn't been involved at all for the past year. So now that my life is more stressful, and they're true stressors, as opposed to, you know, previously in my life, now is the time that I really do need to kick it into gear and, and get to the root of why can't I do this myself and finding healthy ways to cope with daily stress, whether it be meditation, which I'm still working on. It's, it's hard for my brain to turn off and stop thinking. So I, I struggle with meditating, but I do try deep breathing has helped me tremendously. I don't care where I am or what I'm doing. If I need to go into the bathroom for five minutes and just breathe, I do it. Listening to um, Recovery Elevator podcast, that's where all of this really started for me. And now reading This Naked Mind, I, I'm on the third round of listening to it on audiobook, wow. just trying to drill this into my head. And and uh, yeah, so sorry, I think I rambled uh, for a bit there. Telly, but.
0: <laughs> you were just like checking off check boxes right there. I absolutely loved what you said, and you're recognizing yeah. that since age fifteen, when you started smoking cigarettes, you've been cruising through life with the crutch. and I did the exact same thing. I got a huge hug from alcohol, and it worked until it didn't work.
1: yeah,
0: um but there right. comes a time when you start your passage that you can't go back. and um I hope you stay sober, but like if 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 I go out and you go and say, for example, if I go out or you go out and get a drink, It's ruined. It's never going to be the same because we've embarked on this journey forward to get to the why. And gosh, it sounds like this is a really cool time of your life. There's going to be some hurdles, some challenges, but I'm so proud of you and I'm happy for you.
1: Hey, thanks. You know, I mean, I got to say, even just, even just since my 23 days in June, because I've heard you use the term or, or maybe it was in this naked mind, I forget, but like just white knuckling and. Just trying to make it to trying to make it through without any outside sources' support rather to help you that 's how I did it in June, and I realized very quickly that's that's not going to work and I have to rely on these positive outlets and and you know and community like cafe Ari. i mean amazing source of support and such wonderful people who understand and those are the things that are going to help me and even just in these eight days, I feel like I have a much more optimistic and confident view on sobriety this time around because the first time just a few months ago I did feel like I was giving something up and frankly I don't really feel that way right now I feel like I'm one of the lucky ones who realize I don't need that garbage I don't need that shit my life can be as great as I want it to be and I don't need alcohol or anything to enhance it because it doesn't it, it tears away at everything it destroys everything so I feel really lucky that I have that, you know, just that, that I've had that epiphany. I just hope that I can continue the momentum. That's that's the only challenge moving forward.
0: Kelly, again, it sounds like you're on the fast track. It took me a good couple years to have that shift in mindset to go from this is a huge sacrifice to a tremendous opportunity. And I also want to comment on being a single mom. There is not a metal ribbon trophy cupcake cookie big enough in the entire world <laughs> for what you guys do. Nice job. <laughs> it's just incredible okay. what, what yeah, you guys it's, it's can do. Tough. And, yeah. you know, in the last 31 days, not last, but like with a 23 and then 8, there has to be stressful situations. And that is one of our goals when we quit alcohol, to become a self-regulating adult, to deal, deal with stressful situations without the crutch of alcohol. But you've had to face mm-hmm. some sort of stressful situations in those 31 days. How have you gotten past it without alcohol?
1: You know, I think the first thing that comes to mind is I talk about it. When I'm having a craving, whether it's because something's just happened or nothing's happened at all, I reach out. I reach out before I reach my hand out for the bottle or I reach my hand in my wallet at the liquor store to give them my money. Talking about it and, and saying, okay, before I do this, I just have to tell somebody how I'm feeling has been a tremendous help. I've I've even done the put my phone on a 20 minute timer because from what I understand, 20 minutes is like uh, the average life of a craving. And I wait until that timer goes off. And you know what? Almost every time, every time actually that I can think of by the time it went off, I had already forgotten about it. And if you just take a minute to just stop, hold on, let me not be impulsive and do this. Let me like I said, let me reach out to somebody breathe, set a timer, listen to five minutes of a po- podcast. It's just about stopping the impulsive behavior, which is is maybe easier said than done. That's been how I get through any type of stresses in any day that I've had sober in the last couple months. Just trying to turn off that, that quick, impulsive action thinking that has gotten me in trouble in the past. That's That's been the, the best Thing for
0: me thus far hey Kelly can I put in my official request to be interviewed on your podcast in the future <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious this fast track that you're on is so impressive and it's so cool to be a part of <laughs> it's something so simple <laughs> talk about it when I have a craving like that's that's burning the ships right there that that single line <laughs> encompasses so much courage yet so much simplicity that no one ever does in the first 31 days or not no one, but it's just so rare. I didn't fall in that boat. So nice job again. (laughs) Um, And (laughs) walk us through a day in your recovery, Kelly, how are you going to get the rest of day eight, day nine, day 10?
1: Well, I wake up every morning about five o'clock, give myself an hour and a half before the little tyrant I live with wakes up. I'm trying to, (laughs) what's her name by the way, (laughs) four year old, her name's Ryan or like the boy's name, Ryan. What a sweetheart. She's wonderful. Yeah, she's a sweetheart. Uh, She's still a little tyrant, though, she is four. Um, But in the mornings right now, they're actually pretty quiet. They're not as structured as I would like them to be, considering I do only still have eight days this time around. I'm trying to not put too much on, like, not put too many expectations on myself too quickly. I figured... I'll get another, you know, a couple weeks. And once I feel like I'm good with that, I'd like to start, um, meditating or doing Tai Chi in the morning, just, you know, just in my living room. Yeah. I go to work. Usually I listen to a podcast on the way to work in the morning while my daughter's on her iPad in the car. Sometimes I'll even listen to one or an audiobook at lunch because again, there are liquor stores and, and bars all around my job. So that can help, you know, to keep me on track in the middle of the day. I come home and and again, I usually pick up where I left off on the audio book or the podcast on our way home. And um, I'll actually I, I do a lot of listening to podcasts. So I'm realizing now, as I'm telling you, because when we get home, you know, she plays, I start dinner, and I usually have my headphones in just with one earbud in so I can listen. I try to do about 10 minutes of uh, just like, um, I want to say, reflection at night. I've actually started keeping a journal. I think you were the one who mentioned this, listing 10 things that you're grateful for every day. And I've been doing that every night. And they're not always the same answers. Sometimes they're different answers. I try to attend AA meetings every Wednesday night. It's a little difficult to do more because, again, I am a single parent, and they're not mm-hmm. exactly kid-friendly. So it's not it's not too – my day isn't very structured yet, but that's another work in progress for me. My job is going to be putting in – they're actually building, like, a exercise weight room, so – about three weeks from now, I'll be able to exercise at my office in my building at lunch, which is going to be tremendously helpful. And yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at right now.
0: Impressive, nice job, nice job. It sounds like you know I heard a couple like you know after I do this for a couple of days or a week, and then I'm going to put this on my recovery plate and this and that. it's fan- nice job, Kelly. That's all I got to say. And thanks. The universe is listening right now. What's on your bucket <laughs> list? What future do you foresee? And would you like to create in sobriety?
1: Well, hitting the 30-day mark is something that I'm really looking forward to getting to. I really feel like if I can get one month down, just for my own feelings of accomplishment and esteem, frankly, I'll be really freaking proud of myself if I can make it a month, which right now I know isn't a guarantee. So I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, I I can do it because I don't know that I can do it, which... Goes back to the whole one day at a time. But I'd like to continue to to learn how to be more present with my daughter. I'd like to get to exercising and get my mind healthy and also lose some of this weight that I that I put on with all this drinking. And I'd like to be able to, you know, in the maybe not the near future, but the future at some point, be able to attend happy hours with my coworkers again and be okay with not drinking because just because I don't drink doesn't mean I can't be around people who drink once I feel like like I have a little more in my tool belt to deal with it. So that will be an accomplishment for me once I can be in that environment and feel like I can still laugh and have fun, but not be inebriated out, you know, with the rest of them. Or I might find that I go and I don't really like the company anymore. You know, I don't know. I don't really know what will happen, but I just look forward to after, you know, 17 years of life with a crutch. I look forward to just continuing to wake up every morning and be, be proud of myself that I got through the day before just me with nothing else, just me and my community of people who love me and support me. And you know, that's, that's a great feeling of accomplishment in itself.
0: Kelly, like I said, the universe is listening and I love your answer. And I want to comment a little bit more on, you know, you said within a little bit of time, maybe go out to happy hour with your friends and you're on the fast track. Like I said, and I'm, I'm doing life in the slow lane here. But my, my experience with that is, yeah, it took me a couple months and then I was able to get back out to dinner, to the bar scene. I went to Vegas. I think I've been to Vegas like three times sober, going in wow. two days for my fantasy football draft and yeah I went from like the I couldn't do it then I could do it and now I'm going into the phase which you just talked about where I don't like my soul doesn't feel right when I'm in a bar and it's weird because not all bars are created equal like some of them are different some of them I'll walk in and just like the air the, and the atmosphere like I'll just be like Ugh, I got to get out of here this is gross <laughs> and it's not out of like I'm gonna I've got a craving it's like there's just not a lot of soul in this place. I don't know. You get the point, but uh I love it. And and what would you consider your rock bottom moment, Kelly?
1: I mean, going back, I I think even though it wasn't, you know, again, it, you know, I've never been arrested or, you know, no, nobody's nobody's even ever said to me, "No, you should really quit drinking" because I I hit it so well, people didn't even know. But I feel like that night, that June 6th night and just like in retrospect, like watching myself from uh, like from outside of my own body, and just, it's like I was out of control. Like, what was I thinking? It's like the the alcohol just, I don't, just took over me, and it's just so embarrassing when I think about it. So I, I think that night, June six, is is probably it for me.
0: And Kelly, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions in thirty to sixty seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? I'm ready. Kelly, we've all heard of the aha moment. When was your oh shit moment, indicating that you really can't control your drinking?
1: Probably the first night I can remember last year when I did not remember putting my daughter to bed and I woke up on the
0: couch. (laughs) And next question, Kelly, what are your thoughts on relapse?
1: I think that as long as you can forgive yourself and not completely fall off the wagon, there's nothing wrong with it. I think it's a normal part of recovery and uh, forgiving yourself and moving past it is what's most important.
0: It was a big part of my recovery, but it took me a while to forgive myself and move past it. Again, you're on the fast track. Next question. Kelly, what's your proudest moment in sobriety?
1: Yesterday, making it a full week. Wow. And feeling optimistic about it, I should, I should add.
0: <laughs> you know what's cool? You're sharing that milestone with myself and a lot of other listeners right now. How cool is that?
1: Yeah. Nice <laughs> Very job. cool.
0: Yeah. And Kelly, what's your favorite resource in recovery?
1: Cafe uh, Cafe RE. Specifically, the people that I've met there are just absolutely wonderful. I know I can get support any time of day, and I even have a couple group chats and and single chats going through text messages, too, and uh, they're just so wonderful. It's just such a great resource.
0: That is so cool, because that's how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to offshoot, and separate conversations, separate meetups. Nice job. In regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received?
1: Best advice I've ever received, one day at a time, without a doubt, hands down, because you can't think too far in the future, and you can't bring the past with you. Just worry about the now.
0: <laughs> what a parting piece of <laughs> guidance. Can you give the listeners who are in recovery or are thinking about making it eight days without alcohol just like you? I
1: can't take credit for this, but today is the best day not to drink. Don't wait. Don't push it off. Just do it. And it's your own personal journey and, um, you know, just, just don't wait, do it now.
0: And Kelly, before we depart, give listeners your own customized, you might be an alcoholic gift line.
1: You might be an alcoholic if you're pounding shots alone in the bathroom before you have company over cause you're scared of them seeing you drink.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm going to explore my, my concept of that's actually the conscious mind tapping into the higher consciousness and saying, here we go, Kelly hold on to your pants. We're going to get some help.
1: (laughs) I I think you're right, Paul,
0: Kelly. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Before we hear about the marathon analogy, I want to talk to you about a hand to forehead moment I had earlier this year. I didn't necessarily know I did this at the time, but I had tied my sobriety time and happiness together. In fact, when I created the Recovery Elevator Sobriety Tracker app, I told the app development team I wanted like 10 decimals or 10 digits after the decimal point. What I mean is you've been sober for 1.3629436. You could actually see it going up fast. In my mind, as the time went up, it was related to my happiness. So what happens if I hit one year? In my mind i'm saying wait a second i just hit 365 days i should be happy if i wasn't anywhere near that milestone that i had in my head i wasn't happy so you can already tell yourself this plan doesn't really work for one tying my happiness to a sobriety tracker it's basically a clock on a wall isn't gonna work out so my hand to forehead moment which happened around june of 2018 was that Happiness has nothing to do with the amount of time that I had sober. A couple episodes ago, I talked more in depth about tracking sobriety time. I think it's already 186 or 7. Check that out. And before we close out today, I want to share a post that somebody put in Cafe Ari about some observations that are similar in recovery to running a marathon. Recovery is similar to training for a marathon, there are no off days. Even easy or off days consist of something deliberate and important for recovery. During training, even off days include stretching and you're still focused on diet. Number two, yesterday's run doesn't matter. Tomorrow's run doesn't matter either. What's important is today's run, stretch, or rest, or diet. You get the point. Number three, worry about mile 22 when you get to mile 22. Number four, sometimes you have a shitty training run. Shit happens. I should turn that into a shirt. Number five, sometimes when you don't feel like running, but do it despite the lack of motivation, the sense of accomplishment is even better. Number six, if it was always fun, everyone would always do it. Number seven, ice baths suck. Ice cream doesn't. Number eight, when weather is nasty and you don't train, be assured your competition, alcoholism in this case, is doing hills on repeat over and over and over. Number nine, it doesn't necessarily get easier, but you get stronger. And then you train harder, and it gets harder, but then it gets easier and easier. You get the point. Number 10, don't constantly focus on the goal, a long-term sobriety. Focus on the right now. Number 11, have fun. Number 12, don't forget to enjoy the process. Recovery elevator. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this.